And welcome back to SwitchCast. We are not live tonight because guess what? It's Thanksgiving week, so uh, we wanted to have the biggest party night uh, of the year. We wanted to be home safe and not get hit by drunk drivers, so hopefully you are also doing that. Um, Although it'll help if you're drinking because we become far more entertaining the more you consume. So uh, cheers to all of you who are drinking at home on this Wednesday night before Thanksgiving and joining us on SwitchCast. Thank you for spending your valuable time with us. We appreciate it. Anyway, I am your host, Doug Tabbitt, and SwitchCast is the podcast where we are searching for the truth and humor in the car industry and having a lot of fun along the way. With me tonight is producer Ethan Huffnagle and our official supplier of banter, Tyler Sanders. Yeah, that's we finally me. have a real title for you. <laughs> Supplier of banter. This is the the, the banterer. Banterer, just a bunch of R's. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's see. We're gonna uh, a couple updates from last week. So I mentioned that I had picked up the alleged highest mileage Ferrari in the world, a 456 yes. GT gated manual, and Ro- Rosso Metalizito. Um, I, is that how the Southern auctioneer pronounced it? Yeah, probably. It's, I butchered it just as badly as he did. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, well, them trying to say Asante wheels didn't work either. But Oh, they said, they said that the 456 had modular, optional modular wheels. And I was like, no, those are definitely aftermarket wheels. But maybe it used to have them. That's why you got to be careful with auction descriptions. Anyway, um, so we got it here. And um, one of the mechanics that worked on it for the previous owner messaged me and said, oh, yeah, that car is great. You could probably road trip at home. Um, I think he meant if I lived across the street from the auction house. <laughs> um, the auction house, of course, everything is absolutely as is. And... Uh, they did make sure to say that they they wanted every car to start. They made sure every car would run, and they like said, "Well, if if there's anything we noticed wrong with the cars, we disclosed it." The only thing I heard disclosed over the entire course of the auction on a bunch of rebuilt title and repainted <laughs> cars was. <laughs> Uh, one car had a passenger window that didn't work. That was the only flaw disclosed. Oh, wow. That's the only thing they found. <laughs> only thing. The rebuilt title cars were conveniently uh, put together better than at the factory, probably. 100%. That was said many, many times. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Good thing for those those uh, 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 hold me harmless clauses on the yeah. back of the... <laughs> Back of the bitters pass. Anyway, <laughs> uh, so yeah, I bought a, a really high mileage 456 that had been fully repainted. And, you know, I, I, I knew sort of what I was getting into. Um, but getting off the transport truck, it had a massive hydraulic leak, which the fluid actually kind of matched the paint. <laughs> was there any left in the uh, reservoir? Yes, unfortunately, because it kept leaking. <laughs> oh, don't tell the EPA, but my goodness, <laughs> it was the Exxon Valdez coming out of the back of the thing. <laughs> Only the hydraulic fluid was Rosso Metalizito. <laughs> Paint to sample Ferrari. Hydraulic fluid. Better um, than Chevy Red. Yes. <laughs> um, let's see. So it did start, but it 
took about 20 attempts to start it. Uh, I think it's either a bad starter or a clutch safety switch because you turn over, nothing, turn over, just click, 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 and then all of a sudden it fires. So it's not battery, like there's plenty of power. Uh, so that was the one thing. Uh, conveniently, the trucker said it was running when they got there to pick it up. So <laughs> I think they knew about that issue. Do you think um, they didn't disclose everything, Doug? Very odd. Doesn't matter. <laughs> Errors of omission are <laughs> not liable. Does that does that bother you in any way, shape, or form? Um, no, because it's if I was new to the car game and a especially the auction game, sure, it would bother me. Right. But that's how these things work. Like, even the highest echelon of auctions in the world, Barrett-Jackson, RM, whatever, you have to go in knowing what you're doing, and if you don't, you go with an expert. They play games with the bidding. They carefully emit things. Um, There's all sorts of shenaniganery with automotive auctions you just it is totally caveat emptor and it just is what it is it just is what it is i think in some cases they're let's put it this way i think some of the higher end auctions value their reputation more so if there's a significant error like hey we said this car was matching numbers and it wasn't then they'll buy it back. And I've heard cases like that where the auction company will essentially make it right. But that's only if it gets caught. So, no, it, it, it I mean, it's annoying. I'd rather the car be awesome. <laughs> but I sure. bought the highest, highest mileage Ferrari in the world from a auction filled with rebuilt title cars and a bunch of old Corvettes. Right. And it was essentially like a big collector selling off the garbage of his collection. So it was all the stuff he didn't want because he had a whole nother warehouse full of really nice cars. So yeah, no, I'm like, I, I know that this is going to be suspect, but well, what was the, I know we talked about it last week, but, but the, the Ferrari, what was it like pitched as advertised as versus like what number did you find it at? What on the odometer? Oh, right. So they just said it was non-actual mileage. Um, Carfax, the last entry on Carfax was 180,000 miles. The odometer, strangely, shows 970,000 miles. Pretty good. <laughs> I don't know why, <laughs> but it. we're going to get it to a million. the last Carfax entry? <laughs> 180K. But when was that? Was that like this year uh, or like last year? A couple years ago. Oh, okay. So unless somebody did like... 500 cannonballs in quick succession. (laughs) It's done a lot of work in the past couple of years. Um, Anyway, so things that we found that this car needs. Uh, Both rear shocks are leaking. The hydraulic fluid is pretty much all gone. So I got the uh, involuntary lowering kit. Um, Stance nace, Yeah, right? (laughs) It's like the trophy truck stance where the rear is slammed and the front's up up in the air. Uh, Let's see. The center uh, climate control vents are not attached to the dash. I just pulled them out, <laughs> like the whole assembly. I was like, oh, it's loose. Oh, hey, no, it's it's not loose. Uh, let's see. The exhaust tips were installed upside down. Um, the windows are misaligned, so there's like a half-inch gap on each side for rain to get in, which is actually a very common problem on 456s. So, um 
there's a noise, squeaky noise. I'm not sure if it's the HVAC or something from the back of the engine. Um, the HVAC doesn't work at all. Uh, power steering is uh, all in the forearms. There's there's no power steering in the engine bay. Um, the oil pressure gauge is pegged at like 50 psi 50 psi no like 50 bar i mean it's all the way like way past way past top um i'm hoping that's just the gauge and it's not overfilled with oil um yeah power steering hvac rear suspension yes um it does run beautifully though it does. Oh, and when I hit the brakes, the brake light comes on, which I'm thinking is probably just low brake fluid. I'm hoping and praying that's all it is. But it goes off as soon as you release the pedal? Yes. Huh. So, who knows? <laughs> what? Is that an indicator that they're working? <laughs> brakes have been applied. <laughs> you're, so you're getting a preview of what everybody else behind you is seeing. Just right. Brake lights. <laughs> oh, and there's an orange light that just says spoiler. And I'm like, it's a 456. There are no spoilers. I don't know. Maybe it like it's knows the end of a movie I haven't seen or something. <laughs> like the spoiler alert. <laughs> uh, yeah. But anyway, I, so and, and all this full disclosure, our mechanic hasn't touched it yet. This is just things I noticed starting the car and moving it a hundred feet into the shop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe you just got a really good eye. <laughs> moral of the story. By a really good example. And if you'd like a really good example, we have a very nice 456 GT with only about 25,000 miles for sale that is available through switch cars. So yeah, if you don't want to deal with the drama of what I'm dealing with, uh, you can have that one for mere $125,000. Pocket change. Pocket change. I might spend 125k getting this thing <laughs> working. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, so... Also, last week, we talked about cars that were not selling, specifically on Bring a Trailer, although it happens everywhere, um, or, or cars that had sold, rather, had met reserve, found a buyer, but the buyer did not come through, and they were being relisted. And there's all sorts of reasons uh, that we speculated on why that could be the case. Uh, but also, I was thinking this week, looking at... Um, looking at an old Diablo is actually looking up the history on this rebuilt title 91 Diablo that sold at this same auction. And, um, I was looking at old eBay listings and it reminded me of the games that dealers used to play on eBay and still kind of do where they would just list cars, no reserve, and they'd sell, they'd have shill bidders. And then the next week, They'd list again, no reserve, shill bidders. And, and you'd see this like half a dozen times. Uh, Rob Pitts admitted to <laughs> shill bidding his stuff back in the day. And he got a <laughs> lifetime ban. But um, <laughs> yeah, this this 91 Diablo that that sold at the um, this auction that I got the 456 at um, was listed back like 10, 15 years ago in Las Vegas on eBay and his description was all about selling this car. It was also in all caps. It was very, very, uh, 
very difficult to read, no punctuation, just paragraph spaces. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Uh, where do I even start or end with this? Car does have a rebuilt title due to Carfax stating hit a fixed object. No airbags was deployed. Accent was not bad. Frame wasn't bent or anything like that. Not a salvage title. It's a rebuilt title. I have a rebuilt Nevada title in hand. Uh, side note here. The dealer is being super shady here because they say not a salvage title. It's a rebuilt title. There's a very important nuance here. Because, and people on Facebook and stuff tend to just say like, oh, it's a salvage title. But a salv a rebuilt title is not necessarily better than a salvage title. It doesn't mean it wasn't salvaged, right? So for the newbies, because Ethan's giving me furrowed brows here, like, no, I'm listening. what does all this stuff mean? When you wreck a car and the insurance company deems it a total loss, they will buy the car back from the, the owner and they will brand the title and say, this is salvage. This goes to a salvage auction. It has to be like rebuilt and inspected in order to make it roadworthy. But right now it's salvage. You have to have a special license to buy and sell salvage cars. Um, you can't sell salvage cars directly to the public because they're deemed unsafe for the road. A rebuilt title is when somebody has taken the salvaged car, re rebuilt it. That's why they call it that had it inspected by the highway patrol or whatever state authority, you know, gives a rubber stamp on cars being safe for the road and then gets a rebuilt title and is able to then sell it to the public. So saying something is not a salvage title is almost like kind of implying that it wasn't bad enough, but it was a salvage title. It's just now a rebuilt title. And some states, they call them rebuilt salvage, which I think is the best way to describe it. But uh, anyway, I, I digress there. But at the bottom of this auction, he um, uh, he tells the standard thing. He tells people to contact them, contact him before bidding. If there's no contact before bidding, I'll cancel your bids and block you from this auction and any further auctions. Trying to be fair to all bidders. Um Da, 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 da. but he's saying that this auction is no reserve yes here it is i'm listing this vehicle at no reserve i am looking for a serious auction so it like sold for like 52 grand and they listed it again the following week and it sold for like 46 grand and they listed it again the following week no reserve and it sold for like 40 grand so this guy was not looking for a serious auction yeah, 40,600 is one of them. But he kept relisting this no reserve auction. I'm like there's not that many deadbeat bidders, especially for a Diablo at 50 grand. <laughs> like ah, uh, these these dealers. So anyway, all that to say the people that that harp on auctions like bring a trailer for allowing shenanigans to happen. Uh, I think most of the online auction companies do a very good job of preventing and policing shenanigans contrary to the old wild, wild west of, of eBay. So, yes.
And SwitchCast is brought to you by BoxCast. BoxCast is a live streaming company based in Cleveland, Ohio, and they serve broadcasters and viewers around the world. Their founders launched BoxCast back in 2013 with one purpose, to make people a part of the experience. If you're going to live stream your podcast, church service, car show, sporting event, wedding, or even your cannonball attempt, BoxCast is an easy and flexible live streaming platform for organizations. BoxCast is so easy, in fact, that we're broadcasting this show with a phone. So head on over to switchcars.com forward slash BoxCast for your free trial. Alrighty, well, the Corvette curmudgeon is here, everyone. Hey, Hank, how you doing? Great, Tyler. How are you? I am doing well. It is Thanksgiving week. Got a little bit of time off work. I'm sitting here drinking some whiskey with friends. It's all good. Uh, Do you have any plans for Thanksgiving this week? Well, I don't know. I think my wife's got some plans or something. Probably, probably with the in-laws. I don't know. I'm, I'm just uh, gonna, gonna grin and bear it. You know, eat some turkey and drink some, drink some Coors Light, and you know, watch some TV probably in the afternoon. Yeah, you into- take a nap maybe. I'd like to take a nap. Ooh, naps. You know, are that good. turkey gives you the tryptophan. <laughs> it does. I want to take a big snooze every time I eat turkey. It's like just knocks me out. Yes, indeed. So uh, speaking of uh, some family stuff, I wanted to ask you a pretty easy question tonight. Just kind of curious. What is your wife's birthday? Uh, Oh, shoot. See, I always get confused because uh, I can't remember if it's the 26th or 27th or something because my mom's is one of those days. And um, yeah, and then our anniversary was was a different month but it was i i, I can't I, I get them all confused because there's a lot of numbers jumbling around in, in my head and, and i think it's i think it's july or august and, and maybe the 26th or 27th but i just i just try to buy her flowers about four times a week and around that time get close you know and hope i get it right uh have you ever gotten it wrong has, has she been very upset with you well i don't know <laughs> so she doesn't tell you if you get it wrong yeah, well, I you know I think she's just milking it for more flowers. So. Oh, I see, I see. I, Ethan, yeah. that's a pretty tough question. Do you know your mom's birthday? Uh, or not your mom's? Goodness, we're ugh, your wife. You don't have a wife, girlfriend. I do not have. a <laughs> I'm wife. I'm fumbling all over myself over here. Uh, I, I I do. Yeah, so I feel like that's pretty locked away. But you uh, know, what, Hank, when we get up to your age, we'll Ethan and I will probably start forgetting all kinds. Yeah, of things. sure, you do. You, sure. do. you forget no, a lot fair. of things. It's, that's that, that's my excuse. D- yeah. Dates are dates are hard, right? Yeah. I mean, they're, they're tricky to remember. Yeah, yeah for absolutely, sure. for yeah. sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Follow up question, completely unrelated. Uh, what date was your Corvette completed? Oh, September twenty third, nineteen ninety seven. Oh. It was build number 074 is a very, very early car. Okay. I stu- I got in line, put deposit down over a year on in advance. And I was first on the list in my dealer. Yep. And I got the GMA plan as well for friends and family, pulled nice. some strings there. And yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was $28,742 out the door. Okay. Yep. Wow. Yeah. And then you went to the museum and everything of to pick course. it up and yep. saw it at the factory. Oh, yeah. Yeah, man, that's really just is that one of your most favorite uh, experiences? You oh, really yes. committed that to memory. Oh, yes. Love yep. it. Yep. Would you say this year on Thanksgiving that you're thankful for your Corvette? <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> yep. Every day I'm thankful for my Corvette. Oh, yes. Absolutely. Love <laughs> it. Well, thank count, you. Count the uh, little blessings in life. Absolutely. Well, in that case, big blessing, big engine, you know, right? Maybe. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, it's, it's no, it's a small block. <laughs> oh, sorry. Small is in the name. That's my bad. 
I'm one of those European car weirdos, so I, you know, I get all confused. You must drive a hybrid. Uh, no, it's, <laughs> I mean, I've got a Porsche, but I don't know if that's any better for you. That sweater tells me you drive a hybrid. <laughs> oh, get him. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Before this goes any further, thank you for coming down again, Hank. Hope you have a great uh, Thanksgiving this week, and we'll see you next week. Thank you. All righty. And the Corvette Curmudgeon, everybody, brought to you unwittingly by the Corvette Buy Sell Trade Group on Facebook, your source for cranky boomers, overpriced Corvettes, and reinforced stereotypes. Hey, Doug. Welcome I'll, back. I'll, I'll admit, I, I was wrong. That was better doing doing the wives' date first, and then yeah, <laughs> I, I was wrong. That was good. We do a little bit of uh, inside baseball for you uh, listeners and watchers out there. We do occasionally uh, preempt it. We talk about what we want to ask Hank. Uh, we want to make sure we're being kind to the man. And, that was good. You know, was, really digging into what makes him tick. <laughs> <laughs> what makes him tick? It's lack of oil pressure. <laughs> Where's the drum? <laughs> yeah, we're missing it. it. Did we forget the drum? Hank Hank ticks like a GM valve train. <laughs> <laughs> he wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> uh, speaking of, of ticking and engine noises and everything, Doug, somebody... Right. Yes. Um, so we had... I think last week I asked the Corvette curmudgeon a bunch of questions about how you store your car. Do you start it up in the wintertime? All that kind of good stuff. And Devin Ruckus, a, a very consistent watcher on YouTube... Uh, mentioned something that uh, he had his wife uh, at the time, interesting clarification that I just realized, <laughs> uh, start their car while they were uh, deployed and their car was the only car in the guy's unit that still ran at the end of it. So it was a very interesting, like somebody oh, saying it essentially worked. Sure. Um, which I think well, How long sense. was he deployed for? Do not know. Okay, well, anything over six months, you risk just the fuel going bad. So yeah, it's or, or the battery dies. <laughs> like it's very, very simple things. It's not. Yeah. It's not like the engine's going to fall apart, but uh, yeah, you, you're gone a year, come back to bad gas and a dead battery. Yeah. It's not going to, not going to run. Right. Uh, so, and I think, you know, we've talked a little bit about this and you mentioned that it comes up, folks ask you every year, you know, should you start your, your fun sports car in the winter? Should you, you know, take it up, bring it up to temp, get all the fluids all circulating, or should you just let it sit? Um, yeah, good question. Ideally you should start it and run it up to temperature every few months. Uh, it's good for every single thing in the engine. Um, we're in Ohio. We don't live in an ideal world. Most storage facilities don't let you come in and start your car and run it. Um, I don't think six months is going to hurt a car that badly. There's things that you can do, um, as, uh, preventative measures, uh, to account for that. Part of it is depends on where you're storing your car, what kind of climate. So if it's in a heated, um, you know, decent humidity, um, environment, then you're okay. Right. If you're letting everything go down to freezing temperatures, then that's way worse for everything in the car. Um, part of it is filling the fuel up to capacity before you store it or draining it completely because any, essentially air mixing with the fuel, especially if you have ethanol in your fuel, which pretty much everybody does, unless you have an old car and you go out and get the pure gas that's ethanol free, or you put race gas in it. If you don't have gas, yada, yada, yada. But if you have ethanol in your gas and you don't fill it totally full, then whatever air is in there 
again, mixed with the, the ethanol and it um, uh, causes moisture, right? So you get water inside your tank and that's what causes corrosion. So fill your tank all the way up. Um, put fuel stabilizer in your gas. Um, that helps the fuel not to break down. Although I've never had an issue with mine if I don't put stable in it for five to six months, I think really if, if you're going to put it down for longer, then you should really consider that. But um, yeah, changing your oil before you put it away is good because especially in my case, in my Corvette, I drive the piss out of it. So my oil is probably fully used up and burnt <laughs> yeah. up. Uh, so you start getting contaminants in there as you use your oil up um, and you don't want those to sit for a long period of time. So if you put it away with fresh oil, that's better for your car. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, if you store your car in the right environment over a period of six months and you put it away properly and prep it properly, then it's fine. It's not going to hurt the car. So for yes. sure, I think a, a related, those are all very good points. Those are things we all try to ascribe to ourselves here in the Switchcast family. Uh, but so folks who drive their cars, whether it's a daily or, you know, a fun winter car, uh, warming up your car is another point of contention. <laughs> um, I think aside from our own behinds that we'd like to be nice and toasty warm, if it's 20 to below outside, you know, that's obviously a consideration, but you know, I've done a lot of research. Uh, I have a 996 for those who don't know. And, uh, those who especially don't know, there's lots of things that can go wrong. Uh, one of which is bore scoring. So I've spent a lot of time on the internet being scared about how do I prevent <laughs> this by precious cylinders. Uh, and one of the well, hot Hank topics, would say it's the cardigan, <laughs> um, one of the, uh, one of the things is not w letting it sit in idle to warm up, uh, which is something a lot of people do in the wintertime. So what are your thoughts on that as to why is it good? Is it bad? Right. Yeah. So this, I feel like this is an annual debate because somebody always publishes an article every year about how it's bad for your car to let it warm up. And about 10 years ago was probably the last time I uh, looked into this or read read this article because a girl I was dating at the time sent me this same article. And because I was like, no, you got to let your car warm up in the winter. And um, one of the points there, the, the article at the time was terrible. There was no sources cited. There was nobody interviewed. It was just opinions. Um, but Almost one of, like this podcast. Yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Highly credible. <laughs> and one of the things basically said like, oh, your car warms up faster if you're driving it versus if it's just idling. And I was like, well, that's true. But that's like saying your muscles warm up faster if you just go into a dead sprint so you shouldn't stretch. Like, yes, it warms up faster, but that doesn't mean it's good for it stressing an engine when it's cold is bad so what do doug and i actually disagree on something i was no i was just gonna say that's <laughs> a very that's a fascinating uh metaphor or simile rather analogy that, oh <laughs> analogy uh, yeah. well, one of those things all metaphors are analogies but not all analogies are metaphors there's a simile in there somewhere i've never <laughs> <laughs> talking about <laughs> I, I no that's that's fascinating that that was that was all okay so well there's there's an article that was on wkyc uh this year um about this and they actually 
Stop trying to update my phone. They actually quoted <laughs> Is some, Hank back? Some, some auto repair places and and uh, uh, EPA sources, Utah Department of Environmental Quality, which I feel like is a totally biased source, right? Well, yeah. Yeah, I definitely would agree. <laughs> we all know why, right? Okay, so Utah. let's see. They quoted the Utah Department of Environmental Quality, Chuck's Auto Repair, very, Fire, very reputable. Firestone Complete <laughs> Auto Care and Smart Motors Toyota, a dealership based in Madison, Wisconsin. Anyway, um, they say you could be doing your engine more harm than good by letting your car warm up. So... Uh, Let's start off with the Department of Environmental Quality quote. Excessive idling can actually damage your engine components, including cylinder spark plugs and exhaust systems. Okay, bold claim. Ready for their reasoning? His. Many components of the vehicle, including the wheel bearings, tires, and suspension system, will only warm up when the vehicle is moving. That does seem unrelated. <laughs> I don't think, Ethan, are wheel bearings in the engine? Hold on. Uh, hold on. <laughs> no, here's, here's the, 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 here's the hammer down for the, the idiot. You need to idle no more than 30 seconds to get the oil circulating through the engine. If it takes 30 seconds to get the oil circulating. <laughs> like, Holy smoke. Then <laughs> I get a little worried if it's like five seconds in my oil pressure right. gauge hasn't ticked up. Right. I mean, the 996s with bad chain guides like rattle for half a second. And you're yeah. like waiting like, oh, it's like, <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> 30 seconds. These people are idiots. Okay, we can write them off. <laughs> I want to know what Chuck says. Oh, Chuck. No, Chuck says... Um, <laughs> Constantly letting a cold engine idle can actually be counterproductive because it gradually strips oil away from the engine's pistons and cylinders. When the engine is cold, the gas may not evaporate completely as it combines with the air. Here's where he loses me. For more recent cars with an electronic fuel injection, there are sensors that detect this and compensate by adding more gas to the mixture. For more recent cars. Are you hung up on the more recent? Yes. <laughs> This guy is living in like 1980. Like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not trusting his opinion quite so much when he's talking about more recent cars having electronic, electronic fuel, fuel injection. injection yeah. <laughs> but I have heard. Right. So in my delvings into to Porsche nerddom for bore scoring, I've read that this is actually the case when your car, when your ECU is dumping more fuel into your cylinders it, and it doesn't burn off, it'll wash away the oil. And that's when things start rubbing together that shouldn't be rubbing together. And that's like a potential contributor. To OK, all but stuff. that's only because Porsche, th th that is a <laughs> symptom. But the cause is because Porsche used crap cylinder liners. Yes. Now, do you expect a normal appliance level vehicle to be using the best sort of uh, fight, cylinder fight, liner. Well, fight, no, fight. because Honda and Toyota have struggled with oil consumption, but they have. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna quote King's Auto Repair here, which is a little more uh, less Hank than than Chuck's Auto Repair. Um, so Frank says most engines are equipped with piston cooling jets, jets of oil that is sprayed onto the bottom of the piston and the cylinder wall. Uh, bu 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 proper fuel trim and efficient burning does not occur till vehicle is in the closed loop program, which is a properly warmed up 
engine. A cold engine base program is used until then, and it's very harsh on the catalyst system and the engine internals. And his quote is, not letting metallurgy work by letting things warm up is crazy. And there's a very good point there. So not just metallurgy, but viscosity of oil. Those two things are very important. I'm Disclaimer, I am not an engineer. <laughs> For legal However, reasons, this is not advice. <laughs> right. There's two really important things at work here. Metals expand and contract with heat. Everything within the inside of an engine is measured to thousands of an inch maybe even tighter tolerance than that. So if you essentially, now I get it that a lot of people on their daily drive to work are not tacking out their engine. However, if you do on a cold engine, those tolerances or lack thereof, because the metal has not expanded to what it's supposed to be when it's warmed up, that's going to cause issues. Um, for example, probably the best example of that is second gear in a Ferrari when it's cold, right? It does not want to go in or it grinds. And it's basically just because of the tolerances of the gearbox is it doesn't work until that gearbox is warmed up and everything fits together. The other issue is the viscosity of the oil, right? It's, it's back to the like warming up your like stretching before you run. The oil is meant to work and lubricate once it's at a certain viscosity. When it's cold, it's not there. It's, it's moving slower. So it's not lubricating your engine properly. So, yes, if you warm up your car for 30 seconds and drive like a grandma or Hank on your way to work, then it's probably fine. But if you actually get on it at all and strain your engine before the metal is to the proper size, <laughs> everything's a proper tolerance, and the oil is to the proper viscosity to lubricate everything, you're going to hurt your engine. So yeah, like you could worry about the cylinder lining way, way down the road, or you could be just grenading your engine by just hammering it when it's cold. For sure. And that's something we should uh, clarify is I'm not going out there and redlining it after I've let it sit running for a minute, you know, driving it like Hank for a while until it gets up to temp and then I can enjoy. Well, here's the other point, too, is regardless of whether or not you warm up your car before you leave, it needs to get up to temperature before you get to work. A lot of people have fairly yes. short commutes. And if you don't let your car warm up and drive it to work and shut it off, you're doing a lot of harm to your engine. So you, it, one way or another, you have to get your car up to temperature, period. It might as well before you, be before you go to work. Disclaimer for people living in Maine or maybe West Virginia is please open the garage door while you're letting your car idle. Oh, yeah. Don't want to trap all them gases. Right. I say that because in 2013, three people in Maine died because they ran their generators in their garage. Oh, my. Yes, it was an epic ice storm, like 70% of the state lost power or something like that. It was, it was insane, but yeah. Oof. <laughs> bring that down. We're going to Doug and I fight, and then we bring it down on death. Holy smokes. <laughs> Switch cast before Thanksgiving, everybody. Right. <laughs> on that note, let's go to a commercial. And SwitchCast is brought to you by Celebrity Machines. Celebrity Machines offers more than 250 different screen-accurate license plates as they've appeared in movies and TV shows like Back to the Future, Ghostbusters, The Fast and the Furious, Breaking Bad, and so many more. 
Schlesinger Machines also makes our dealer insert plates, as well as our commemorative 2539 plates from the fastest cannonball run ever. So visit celebritymachines.com for more info and use promo code SWITCHCAST to save 25.39% at checkout. Which I know we've talked about it before, that, but that is a bananas discount. Yes, it is. It's fantastic. I'm not sure if the discount code works, but... Yeah, have we ever tested that? <laughs> you should try it. You could be the first. Uh, if it doesn't work... <laughs> you could be the first four seasons in. You could be the first. No, Travis did... I think... I don't know if Travis said or somebody said that they tried to place an order and didn't work, but they placed the order anyway, so I don't know. Explain to the folks at home what a 2539 is on the off chance. It is there. the fastest cannonball run in history. 25 yeah, hours, 39 that. minutes. Yeah, he did say that. From the fastest cannonball run ever. No, he doesn't say that the promo is like inspired. 25.39%. But I said 25.39 plates. Our listeners are smart. They can put it together. Well, they might. Producer (laughs) Ethan, very disappointed. Yeah. How dare I want to You should be thankful for the listeners on this holiday week. I am. They're great. Instead of being mean to them. Thanks, guys. So backing up to the beginning (laughs) of the episode, I did... I did mention the the highest mileage Ferrari in the world, and and I wanted to uh, let everybody know. Speaking of Ferraris, uh, my Ferrari got rejected from a Ferrari display that you should go see. Uh, it is at the Crawford Auto Aviation Museum in downtown Cleveland, which is a wonderful, wonderful museum. It's been there for a long time, part of the Western Reserve Historical Society, and they are now doing rotating displays, kind of. Uh, like Peterson Museum and and some other well-known museums, which is a good thing because prior to that, it was like the same stuff there for the last 20 years. However, uh, this winter is Ferraris. Uh, And I think all of the Ferraris on display are also gated manual cars. So they have everything from a one of 14 365 California to a Ferrari 575 stick shift oh my. yes hacha hacha yes uh so head down to the crawford to see a great display of ferraris um also tentative announcement i want to be careful here because nothing is working out so far yet but december 27th is a special uh, it is a wednesday it is a podcast night yes we will Uh, be doing a special podcast details to be determined it will probably be a uh, larger live event slash party at our shop while we film a podcast there may be a couple of uh youtuber celebrity people there um other than myself what and uh maybe some cool stuff being auctioned off for charity um so just Kind of pencil that into your calendar because it's penciled into ours and uh, tune in for a special broadcast or come see us in person. So, yes. With that, let's go to the question of the week. Yes. Question of the week. Um, so this is from, uh, I believe this is off of switchcars.live. Is that correct? Uh, no, this was from an old episode of YouTube, actually. Oh. It's, it's less of a question and more of an opinion. Uh, so really. what is Ethan? What is SwitchCars.live? SwitchCast. SwitchCast. Switch oh my goodness. SwitchCast.live for the folks at home is a uh, it's a website where you can go to read uh, 
all about the podcast and view our sponsors and you get to listen to previous episodes and you can reach out to us directly and talk to Doug and send, well, you can't talk to Doug, but you can send him a question <laughs> and we might, we might read it. That'd be cool. We should have like a talk Switch to Doug. Switchcast.live questions do typically get preference. They do. For, they do. Yes, for yeah. being so, shouted out on the episode. Yeah. So head on over to switchcast.live. Just below the live questions, just below the live questions sent with money. Yeah. We like those the best. Those yes. are, yeah. Take priority. <laughs> Rightfully so. All right. So, yes. Uh, question of the week from Drink More Bourbon on YouTube on a previous episode. Uh, the 10 okay. questions you shouldn't ask when buying a car episode. Uh, I have drank too much bourbon already and I'm out, this which guy. is unfortunate. But uh, That was a good episode. That, one. <laughs> that was a good episode. Yes. Uh, he didn't think so. No, well, he, d- he disagrees. Uh, respectfully, actually. So yes. it starts no, out. It, it was, it, 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 he has some good points, so let's get into that right. and I'll pick them apart. <laughs> <laughs> Doug is feeling feisty tonight. All right. I respect it. Now I'm speaking as drink more bourbon here. Uh-huh. Uh, I respectfully disagree on the number of owners piece. For luxury or high-performance cars, no, it generally does not matter how many owners a car has had because of the enthusiast element. But for someone looking to buy an average daily driver, it absolutely matters. It's just math. The more owners a, quote, regular car has, the more likely it is going to be to fall into the hands of someone who didn't take care of it properly. And all it takes is one bad owner to severely cripple the longevity or appearance of a car. When you're dealing with more owners, you are relying on every single one of them doing their due diligence and proper maintenance on the car. That is just not statistically probable the more people you involve. I know you're a dealer speaking mostly to higher-end vehicles, but if you're looking to buy a used Camry or Accord and and two have a similar year and mileage, but the first had four or five owners and the other has one or two, I guarantee you the fewer owned one is going to be in better condition overall way often or way more often than not. I think that needed to be clarified. Okay. Um, let's take these in reverse order. I, I think they're valid opinions. However, his closing statement um, of that he guarantees that a car with more owners will be in better condition than fewer owners the majority of the time is just statistically wrong. And that's why I came up with the kind of guide of it doesn't matter how many owners a car has had. It's not because of an, of an opinion. It's something I noticed and kept noticing over and over and over again that I find zero correlation between condition and number of owners. It just it isn't there. Um, and I'll, I'll kind of backtrack through some of his reasoning to explain why. So um uh, he said, you're relying on all owners to keep up to date with maintenance. And that's actually not true. Um, the, the more transactions a car has, um, in, in theory, but in practice as well, every transaction, the dealers will bring it up to spec on maintenance. So if you have one bad owner that doesn't do the maintenance, well, they sell it, the dealer's going to bring it up to maintenance. Most of the time, not all dealers are like that, but most of them do because they have to like sell a car that's roadworthy. And if you get one bad owner and then a really good owner, the really good owner is going to do everything that the last owner didn't. So 
a lack of maintenance for a short period of time does not hurt a car. Um, unless they like run it off a cliff or something, it's, it's no big deal. Um, the other, um, thing that he theorized was that more owners means a higher likelihood that someone didn't care for it. That's probably true. But again, you have one person that didn't pos- didn't care for it versus if you have one or two owners, if one of those didn't care for it, they didn't care for it for a really long period of time. So if you have a car with six owners and one of them sucked, the other five took great care of it. They essentially like negated anything that that bad owner did, right? Um, you can't necessarily harm a vehicle by neglecting maintenance, right? Like the spark plugs are a little bit old. The tires are worn out, whatever. Maybe they didn't change the oil unless they're like not warming their car up and then redlining. It doesn't matter that much, right? Like you're not going to kill the engine by going a little bit over on your oil change. But, um, I've seen cars that have one owner and that one owner was terrible. And I'm like, when one owner owns it for a long period of time and neglects it, then you have issues. Um, so uh, again, this is, this is all going back to what I've seen fleshed out over and over and over again in practice. Like those, uh, the points he brings up are, are, are valid in theory, but they don't hold true in practice. And I think it's the same with a regular car or a high end car, right? It's, it, Cars are cars. They're machines. Um, So, yeah, that's good points. But he's wrong. (laughs) Well, I think that's such a common misnomer because I remember when I was shopping for a car, you know, that was something that I was told that I really need to look for was, oh, you don't want a ton of owners. You can't have that. And I think the only time that where Drink More Bourbon's comments really make sense is if you are buying private party from someone who has owned it for a long time and hasn't maintained it. So you need to do some due diligence and get an inspection, you know, know what you're looking for, have somebody who knows it. But unless you're in that very specific situation, to your point, somebody has probably reversed course on the neglect that has happened. Right. And even a single owner that has maintained it doesn't mean they maintained it the proper way. Right. I've seen crazy situations where somebody has all these service records and they serviced it at the best shop on the planet and they're dropping the shop's name. And I call the shop and they go, yeah, we, we don't like that guy. Like, yes, he serviced it, but we told him he needed 10 K worth of work and he did three. So he's got all these receipts from us and he's dropping our name because we're the best shop on the planet. As if that like gives some warranty of fitness for this car but he actually declined all the stuff that we told him he needed to do and only did the bare minimum. So like, I I mean, it it gets dicey. (laughs) So, and that's why sometimes a multiple owner car is good because then you have like, you have this control alt delete type thing where it's like, well, you had this one guy that did the bare minimum, but then it goes through a dealership that said, okay, we need to do all this stuff. And I mean, case in point, I just sold a nine owner GT3 to a guy and he took it to his amazing shop in Denver. It's been maintained. We have limited records, but the car was fantastic. They picked the frigging car apart and they're like, well, we don't have a record of this last fluid change or that fluid change or that fluid change or whatever. All that stuff is up to date, but just because they didn't have a record of it, they're like, 
we're going to make you do all of it. So he's going to spend like five or 10 grand bringing it quote unquote up to date on maintenance, even though it doesn't really need anything. And now is, is the average Nissan owner going to do that? Not necessarily, but that's just another point where multiple owners feeds into, Hey, this car is going to be maintained because someone along the line is going to, you know, reset things and go, we're going to bring everything up to date. Or like the the Acura NSX I sold one time that the previous owner had done a timing belt and water pump change, which is the thing you have to do on NSXs, right? It's just, you know, and, but he had used uh, like the, the eBay water pump and stuff and he had done a resale of the engine, but it was all leaky. So we had it done again with the proper OE stuff. And then... We sold it to somebody. They traded it into a dealer. It went to another guy that we ended up connecting with randomly like three years after he owned it. And he never got the receipts from what we did. And we did a full engine out, resale, timing belt, water pump. So that was the second one in two years. And he didn't have receipts, so he did it again just as preventive maintenance. So this car that had gone through like four different owners in a couple of years, it had three timing belt and water pump services, right? So it was like so over-serviced because every owner wanted to make sure it was great. Yeah. (laughs) Right? Whereas if that one guy that worked on it himself had kept it, it would have been leaking like a sieve and the timing belt probably would have failed because it was a cheap eBay one. But he would have said, well, I'm one owner. I've maintained it and I've got all my receipts and I worked on it myself. And, And the normal private party would be like, yeah, I want to buy my car from that guy. No, you don't. So at, at what point does it become cause for concern? Like we, we've talked about this on the podcast before we've, I remember you and I were looking at a Z three from like, you know, some corner lot dealership summers like two years ago and it, it had changed hands. However many times in the past two years or like the Miata that we saw at the, at the block of chip car show where it's changed hands so frequently. So like what, at, what's the point where like you may, it, it may behoove you to raise an eyebrow sure. at, at that. Is, is it, is it dependent on the frequency in which it changes hands? Is that the big factor there? Uh, that can be, yes. I, I think the, the reason most people are concerned about multiple owner scenarios because they're looking at a hot potato type thing. And and that's a very real concern, right? Right. Is, is if you have a lot of transactions frequently, uh, especially that include wholesale auctions, because even dealers realize they want to get off of it again, just because a car goes through a wholesale auction doesn't mean it's bad. But right. if you have kind of a, a, a bunch of these caution flags, all converging, and you have a, a bunch of owners in a short period of time, dealers, wholesale auctions, and you go, it seems like everybody was trying to get off of this car, then that's when it really warrants further investigation. Again, that doesn't mean anything. It, that could be totally explainable, sure. but that's when you really want to look into it and go, without more information, this is a big yellow flag. Right, right. Yep. Oh man, let's uh, let's go the shrewd negotiator. Yes, so the shrewd negotiator today uh, comes courtesy of Facebook Marketplace. Uh, so this is a 2006 Mercedes E320 CDI, uh, which I think is diesel. diesel. Yeah, diesel. 
Uh, $2,000. Speaking of warming up your car. <laughs> yeah, I guess I'm assuming diesels are different, right? Or, you got to let diesels warm up for freaking ever. Really? Well, because yeah. your uh, excursion is a diesel. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Ever heard of the, the six liter Ford head stud issues? No. Yes. They like to, to blow head studs. Sweet. And they just like then head gaskets. Back themselves up. Back but themselves up. Apparently, out. if you let them warm up properly, which nobody ever does for commercial trucks, then it like just wasn't an issue. Weird. Allegedly. Alrighty. Well, this uh, diesel Mercedes from 2006 was listed on Facebook Marketplace for $2,000. Well, Sweet. $3,500, actually. It sold for two. So did a little bit of negotiating. Runs and drive, brake light on, two exclamation points. Salvage title, two exclamation points. Bill of sale, two exclamation points. Hold uh, on, wait a minute, wait a minute. Hmm. How can I have a salvage title and be on a bill of sale? That's a bit strange. <laughs> bit strange. <laughs> the title itself uh, was salvaged. Yeah, like where is the title? You know it's salvaged, but where is it? Hold on, maybe that goes back to what we talked about earlier. It's a salvaged, not a rebuilt title. Uh, Bet the guy bought it illegally from a salvage dealer or something like that, or it got salvaged and never rebuilt. And he's just driving it around. Just driving it around. Uh, the driving it around, Is that the, the entire description? Uh, yeah, that's it. All I got. Strong. That's insane. Uh, <laughs> real strong. That's that. Well, that isn't all I got, actually. Real strong. Let me, uh, let, let me, uh, Doug, I think you've seen this, but I'll share this with Ethan over here as, as I, as I describe it to the listeners. Give us a visual picture. So Tyler. this is a beige Mercedes interior with a gentleman with a massive ring on his pinky finger with what looks like a jazz cigarette in his hand. Uh, with a lighter and a bag filled with said jazz that goes into the cigarette. Uh, there is a <laughs> cup filled with a bright red liquid. Um, I guess it could be a... Red Bull. Red Bull's not red. Red Bull's not red. Why do they call green? it Red Bull? Uh, why, does it, why do they say it gives you wings? I've never seen anybody fly. <laughs> See? Um, and there's like string lights down the center console. Like, it's just... This is... And it's that's a, it's the cover vibe. photo for the listing. Oh, yeah. I it's like the, the POV thing. The first the guy's like, How big is the ring? That's a big ring. That's <laughs> <laughs> It's substantial. Yeah. Why has he got the cup between yeah, his this, legs it, and not in the cup? And is it's like a styrofoam cup, cup, too. Like, it's not like a... And it's the lid is off. So if he goes over a bump, that ice, yeah. and whatever <laughs> that red liquid is, whatever's in there, it's coming up. That is the best photo. Yeah. Uh, there that, could that not have been a better photo. photo. It's not a photo of the car. It is yeah. a photo. It's like a POV photo of the guy's crotch and the steering wheel with all of his stuff. You I, see more of the crotch than the steering wheel, actually. <laughs> I have to respect it. I mean, he did sell it. My guess is the reason it's a bill of sale is he financed the car, hasn't paid it off. So there is a title, but the bank won't give it to him. <laughs> yeah, the bank just has it for money. <laughs> so the car is going to be up for repo soon. It's They're just not going to know where to find it. Didn't we talk about a tactic last week? It just make the first payment and then none of the other ones <laughs> just keep... Oh, the trucker that did that. Oh, yeah. yes. Just make yeah. it keep your overhead low. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, man. That's one way to sell a car. That's a good one. I should try that with a 456. We should do a mock photo shoot of like, yeah. I don't know where we go with that, but gated manual. Nope, that's too, that's too uh, intellectual. 
Hmm. We'll just do, I'll buy an Invicta watch, like a huge Invicta watch, and then put it at like <laughs> six o'clock on the steering wheel. Oh, yeah, yeah. And take a photo and then Photoshop it at like 180 miles an hour. Yeah, but poorly, poorly Photoshopped. Get two right. watches on the same wrist and then people will be like, doggone, this guy, <laughs> I, I need this car. Bro, that's, he, that's just not the 80s. All right. He needs to tell so much time. <laughs> <laughs> They made watches big now, so you can only fit one. Right. They didn't want to repeat that fast. Not with that attitude. You can fit more than one. Put it like on your elbow. Right? <laughs> I think we need to bring it back. Okay. Uh, Ethan, we can do live questions from TikTok this week, unfortunately. But Ethan, you had some, uh, yeah, some winners I, that you felt deserving I have, of being broadcast. Well, I have questions. <laughs> oh, you I have already questions. downgraded them. I have questions, yeah. I think before you go, our questions this week, of course, brought to you by Nuts for Sticks. Nuts for Sticks is a brand celebrating the manual transmission in all its forms so forget flappy paddles we like shifting ourselves so check out our fun and funny stick theme shirts at nutsforsticks.com and save 10 percent on your order using discount code switchcast that is nutsforsticks.com and use code switchcast that code does work fyi <laughs> confirmed <laughs> but we are running low on shirts uh we only have the stegosaurus shirt left in stock although i one. do have a, a corvette curmudgeon themed shirt in the works that uh, we're thinking of rolling out so i don't want i don't want to give my idea away just yet but no, just a little merch tease yeah um so uh, the nature of a lot of these questions was, hey, what are your thoughts on, you know, insert car here? And if you have those questions, that's great. Join us live on TikTok or YouTube and we'll answer them. But for the purposes... You might not like my answer, but... Uh, yeah, probably not. But it, it remember the essentially genie. of four answers. One, I don't know. Two, I don't care. Three, I don't know. Four, it's cool. It's cool. Um, but, but the questions that I figured we could get to uh, don't, don't pertain to specific car makes and models. Um, so Kerger four asked, and, uh, actually I, I apologize. Sorry. Rather Martin Louis, the fifth asks, uh, a, a question that we had alluded to. That's an old money name. Yeah. Uh, a question that we had. How rich were your great great grandparents, Martin? Martin Louis V. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming that's what the V stands for. How many this. acres do you own? Um, he wants to know. This is a really, really, really broad question here. But we had alluded that we were going to kind of talk about this this week, and then we, we've we've not really just yet. But okay. In your opinion, what does the market look like for EVs? Oh boy. <laughs> Which is the broadest possible. Whoa. Can we get a the the highest level overview outlook in, in um, your mind? Yeah, it's it, they're losing amperage. That that Ew. market is <laughs> definitely <How> about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, did you get a charge out of that answer? Uh it, it's not looking good. Um a lot of uh, manufacturers have backtracked on their promises to fulfill certain production quotas or hit goals or whatever they've said they're going to do. They backtracked on it and basically just said, yeah, we're not going to do that. Um, mainly due to profitability. They can't make any money at it. The demand is waning. Um, and the, the technology just isn't there yet. It's not there yet. So I, I'm trying not to be too joyful about how much the EV companies are struggling right now, but it's really hard 
because it's like this big C. I told you so, right? Every, oh, you just hate EVs. And it's like, no, I have I have very real concerns about the technology and and the viability and everything. So uh, we absolutely will, but we need to dedicate almost a whole episode to um to to what's been going on in that market. But uh, it's nothing new for those of you that are paying attention. Don't have your head in the sand. Um, but yeah, it's it's not great. Everybody's discounting them. Um, they're not selling well. Um, Tesla's kind of led the way for discounting stuff. But I think in particular, one company, uh, it was Honda. Honda promised to build a sub $30,000 EV, which is like basically what I've said all along is, is that EVs are a niche market and, and in order for them to be universally adopted, they have to do what was done with with the Volkswagen bug, the people's cars. They have to make an affordable, everyday, reliable car that anybody can buy and use for everything. And nobody's gotten there except that one that we covered in like Brazil, you know, that, that, oh, yeah, that yeah. worked for a niche market, right? It's a giant, heavily populated city. So people aren't commuting long distances, but America just, it's different, right? LA, New York. Yeah. EVs are great, but they're expensive as all get out. So uh, Honda had promised to make a sub $30,000 EV, essentially the, the electric people's car. And recently their CEO was just like, yep, nope, sorry, not going to happen. Because they, they can't make it profitable. Which might explain why there are so many companies making such fancy like toys for the rich that are EVs. Like Lucid's are gorgeous, I think, as far as EVs are concerned, but they're like a gazillion dollars and hyper fancy. Like nobody's just commuting to their normal ho-hum job right. in a Lucid right. or right. a Rivian. Exactly. <laughs> and it's still all about the zero to 60 times. Yes. I was talking with somebody about the Cybertruck recently and they're like, oh, but did you see that test where like they raced uphill and, you know, the Cybertruck had a trailer and the F-150 didn't and the Cybertruck still beat it. I was like, OK, it's st that's still the zero to 60 thing. Like, OK, so it won a race uphill. Let's use it every day over and over and over again as an actual truck and see how it holds up. Yeah, not going to happen. Tesla can barely get it through like their basic tests of, of fitness to like bring it to market. <laughs> Rivian's a a bizarre a bizarre kind of company when it comes to EVs just because I feel like they're trying to they're trying to like blend the whole like luxury thing that you get with like Lucid that you were talking about with like the rough durability that you see with, you know, the, the towing capacity or whatever, you know, the foot pounds of torque are. And I just, I don't understand like how exactly they're trying to position those vehicles in the market. Do they want it to just be like absorbed by the culture as just every other car or do they want it to be an EV or do they want it to be this big like off-roading vehicle I don't I don't understand what they're going for with it I, I I think that EVs are trying to EV companies are trying to prove that they can do anything and this can replace whatever right segment whatever Whatever opposition you have to EVs, like, oh, it doesn't work as a truck. It doesn't work as a commuter car. It doesn't work as this. They're right. trying to hit all of those things. Yeah. 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 Whatever. Good luck. Whatever. Except not really. Uh, 
Here, nice here's, one, here's one for you. There's another broad one, but it could be fun. Sixth sense. What's the coolest, weirdest vehicle you weren't able to buy that you wanted to? That I wasn't like finding. Uh, this is, man, I wish it was live because I could ask him, like, wasn't able, like, didn't have the money. Maybe you maybe you missed out on it. You were a little mm. bit late. Um, I know you're a fan of the uh, Vehicross, but I don't know if you ever tried to buy one. I don't have a lot of regrets of cars that I haven't bought because usually later on I was like, yeah, it's a really good thing I didn't buy that. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. Yeah. In an alternate timeline, that's what Doug would be thinking about a certain 456. <laughs> <laughs> Dodged a bullet on that one, didn't we? That <laughs> <laughs> parallel universe, Doug, really, whoo. Ouch. <laughs> In the multiverse, some version of Doug out there is. Yeah. You know, there was a moment when that uh, the, the, the lady trying to get the bids for the auctioneer was staring at me and the bid was sitting at $45,000. And they're like, they tried for 50, they tried for 47 and a half. And she's just like, she looked at me, she leaned over. She's like, will you do 46? Will you do 46? And I'm like, calculating 46 times 1.10 is 50,000 somewhere on. I'm like, mm, yes, I'll do 46. <laughs> and I'm sitting there waiting for anybody on the internet or else in the room to outbid me and didn't happen. Didn't happen. <laughs> yeah. What are you going to do? It was at that moment. Two Dougs <laughs> began existing. <laughs> what? Isn't there some like, I, there's some caption or whatever that they keep posting on on videos on TikTok. It's from a movie or something, and it's just like it was the, that exact moment that he realized he had effed up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've seen that. Right? Like, yeah. Yep, that was it. Like take a freeze frame of you in the moment at the table, or like, and then it just on. pans to the open the the back of the transport truck opening and seeing all of the hydraulic fluid just like dripping out of it. Yeah. Oh, Dr- oh, maybe gosh. dramatized a bit, but it's like the record scratch freeze frame. Yeah. You're probably wondering how I got here right now. Covered in hydraulic fluid. <laughs> <laughs> we should use all of those like clips and yeah. just <laughs> superimpose them There's on my 456 here. drama. So <laughs> anyway, more to come on that. It'll be a it'll be a fun one. Uh right. So it is time now for the props and flops brought to you by Switch Cars. And Switch Cars is the enthusiast's dealership where we buy, sell, consign, service, and store only cars that we like ourselves. So check out our handpicked inventory at switchcars.com. And our pick of the week from Switch Cars inventory is what? It is a 1991 Porsche 964 Cabriolet finished in black over Matador Red special leather, which took uh, a little bit of research to even figure out what color it was. Um, Sounds special. Yeah, it is very special. Very rare. Probably a one of one. Rarer than a Corvette pace car? Yes. Oh, my (laughs) gosh. So... Uh, a friend of ours, I think it was Jay Roberts, was at a Cars and Coffee this week with his his Cannonball Prius, and he said that he walked over to the Porsche like parking area, and all the Porsche guys were talking about how their cars were super rare because they had like ceramic brakes and this option and that option. Blah. But it's not paint to sample, but it's still a one of one because of this and that. And he's like, ah, screw this. Walks over to the Corvette area. Same thing. My car is super rare because of this <laughs> and that, whatever. And I'm like, I, I've said it forever. Well, not forever, for like a year or so. But Porsche guys are just Corvette guys with money. That's anyway, why I don't go to uh, Porsche only car shows anymore. It's a it's a pleasing color combination. Black on red is good. Um, it's 
It's uh, the same owner since 1995, which is a selling point (laughs) for some people. Yes, they did maintain it. Um, And that is on PCAR Market now. Uh, So you can check out the auction. And uh, I think Ethan will post the the link to the auction in the episode description. Yes, he will. Yes, he will. Awesome. So check that out and bid away. Uh, The flop of the week. Goodness, I don't know if I left enough time for this because this is a great one. The worst rally in the world. This also doubles as Scaminator. Uh, yeah, the worst rally in the world, uh, second only to Eric Mubba Green's total rally scam, which some of you will know about that happened this, uh, in Cleveland a number of years ago. Um, let's see the, uh, supercar showdown rally was supposed to be a rally from Miami to Vegas for the F1 weekend. It was a rally, but there was a lot of drama behind it. Um, the let's see they started out in miami we're going to vegas and was billed as this full vip experience for the whole thing it was nine thousand dollars it fell apart fairly quickly on the second day as they went to what was supposed to be a track day and they showed up to a racetrack but they weren't allowed to take their own cars on the racetrack it was uh, there was a company there called Extreme Experience, which is a great company familiar to some of you on VinWiki, and uh, the organizer basically told people that while well, you can rent cars from Extreme Experience, so you can pay it's like three hundred dollars for six laps, but you can't take your own cars on there for for liability purposes. So that was a huge letdown because it was billed as a track day, allegedly. All of this is secondhand information. Um, so then they were supposed to spend the night in Memphis. So some people went to Memphis, but the organizer wouldn't give them the itinerary. It was supposed to be all like secret and whatever. So everybody stayed together as a group. So a bunch of people were waiting in Memphis only to find out that their hotel was a couple hours south of Memphis in, from what I can uh, figure out, Tanika, Mississippi at a $92 a night hotel for a $9,000 rally. No way. Yeah. (laughs) And a uh, multiple homicide shooting had just happened like right nearby there the night before. Yes. Uh, Real winner. Um, Let's see. What else? They uh, were supposed to have uh, this airstrip experience where they were going to race against planes. Now, the airstrip, <laughs> the airstrip was in Pahrump, Nevada, which is out in the middle of the desert, Nevada. There's a, an amazing racetrack there, but they weren't going to that racetrack, not to Spring Mountain Motorsports Ranch. Nope. They were going to the Calvada Meadows Airport, which is a 5,000 foot airstrip, about one plane wide, 4,000 feet of it is paved. And uh, the largest airplane I can see in any of the pictures is like a single engine, two passenger one. Like it is a very, very small airstrip. But what they meant by planes racing against planes was actually drones. They didn't race planes. They raced drones. 
I'm like, I could have told you if you're going to Pahrump, Nevada, an airstrip in Pahrump, Nevada, that this isn't going to be a good time. Because when we were out at Spring Mountain Motorsports Ranch, I was there for two years with my dealership there. The owner of Spring Mountain built his straightaway long enough so he could land his own plane there because like there wasn't a sufficient <laughs> airport nearby. Pretty great. So like the local racetrack is a better airstrip than the airport that these guys went to on their rally. Um, <laughs> let's see. Uh, yes. And then they were supposed to have this like F1 experience, but Mm. they got there and none of the hotels had been booked. So you just like, you had to book your own hotel and the restaurant that they had rented out didn't pay the exorbitant fee that the F1 organizers wanted in order to be able to view the race. So they had banners, they had put up banners blocking their view specifically. So not a, not a great experience for these people who spent nine grand and and like you go yeah. to the the Instagram page so their Instagram is supercar rooms and supercar showdown Miami and the last two posts comments are just disabled which is always telling but the, the previous ones that's just people just calling out scam 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 so the uh, the organizer Elo King he he goes by Elo in all of the recent publications and all of the stuff he writes about himself on his own website, probably because he doesn't want people looking up his history. His history is very interesting. He came from the UK. Uh, He used to be a fashion model previously to that. But after that, he ran what has been dubbed on the internet as the worst car museum in the world. (laughs) Amazing. Uh, He had a bunch of movie cars. There were some interesting cars in this museum. There's about 250 cars that he loosely claimed, according to these articles, to be his. I think a lot of them were on loan. Uh, There was a lot of replicas. Makes sense for a movie museum. But anyway, the the downfall was that he ran up uh, over 600,000 pounds in debt to the local city council. Um, But that wasn't actually their downfall. Reading through this article, it says that they were essentially so far down the list of creditors that they didn't even get paid. So there was a lot of not paying people going on. And other people have said it differently, essentially just like we ran him out of the UK. So then he sets up shop in Miami and has what he calls supercar rooms, which is this fancy like art gallery for cars that has a fancy restaurant that is that is three thousand dollars per table to like get a seating. Um, anyway, uh, not a great track record for this Elo guy. Um Definitely not a great, uh, not a great rally. Uh, it's it's not a, a a scam that we called out, which is why we don't have it in the scaminator. But uh, a, a few people knew that uh, that uh, he was uh, a little bit shady. Uh, thanks to our, our our friend from Cannonball, Frankie, for uh, some of the information on this guy. And uh, again, everything is is alleged. So you know, covering our butts there. Prop of the week. Yeah, let's turn this around. Positive. Right. Let's go. Well, I mean, that was kind of positive. <laughs> it, it's negative for the people involved. Yeah. Uh, it, it wasn't a total scam. Like, it, it existed. They all got to Vegas, but it wasn't what it was billed to be. And a lot of people had to lay out a bunch of extra money for stuff that was supposed to be included. So, anyway, our prop of the week is our very own Tyler Sanders. Because what? recently, he crossed 100,000 miles in oh, his Porsche yes, 996. Yes. I did. And around here, we love mileage on cars. 
I have the highest mileage Ferrari. I've got 70 some odd thousand in the Corvette. I don't even know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We advocate that you should be driving your cars Heck and yeah. enjoying them because life is short. Your odometer shouldn't be. Um, so yeah, just crossed a hundred thousand well, hey, miles. Put that yeah, on thanks. a bumper sticker. <laughs> yeah. That's a line. Right well, there. you posted something at one point that, uh, I forget the first half of it, but it was some motivational saying that ended with and like live like with tape over your odometer. I'll have yeah. to go find it again, but it's life is just much better that way. You sure. said something in your post about about enjoying the car. I forget what it was, but you had oh. a line in there where I was like, that's good. Yeah, that was something that I didn't want to be like that guy saying, mm, Jerry Seinfeld said this because it's all over the internet, but it is failure to enjoy is one of the greatest sins of life yeah. or something See? like that is what he mm. said. And it's like, you know what? Nice. And it was about the same kind of thing, like in, drive your cars, enjoy them. Don't yeah. like sit there right. and park them and all, only care about the value. Like the point is to enjoy them for what they are yeah. yeah that's great so how's your bore score honestly fantastic yeah it's i like had a nine the, and a half out of ten well i don't is that good or bad is that not scored or scored i don't know <laughs> no i had our uh, a local porsche specialist to do like a whole leak down test bore scope and everything and they said the motor is exceptionally strong sweet so it's uh, uh probably because i keep using it how about your PIRMS? Ah, uh, oof. That's uh, I don't want to talk about that. It's okay, getting, it's getting a little stressful. <laughs> Once a month, it acts up. Yeah, and then you know, it just kind of gets cold outside. <laughs> Started too early. It gets a little upset. <laughs> Didn't warm it up first. Yeah. Ooh. <laughs> Use some foreplay before you drive to work. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> Anyway, in closing, thanks to our sponsors, Boxcast, Nuts for Six, Switch Cars, Celebrity Machines, Parallel Printworks, and Stephen Home Woodworking. Thanks to our producer, Ethan Huffnagel, and our banterer, Tyler Sanders. Our bumper music is provided by Emily and Ivory. You can stream the full album on Spotify or SoundCloud. This episode will be available next Monday in audio format wherever you listen to podcasts. And again, check out switchcast.live for latest episodes. Uh, blog posts and how to find uh, the best place to download this audio episode. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next Wednesday at 8pm as we look forward to edifying, educating and entertaining you on the drive of your life. <laughs>